Hi again, everybody. This is the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different niches, different genres, different backgrounds to be able to see kind of what tips and tricks that they have to be able to be successful in their area or if they are just really moving and, and pushing an envelope in their space. Um, so we get a little bit more information. We always have great guests and, and today is going to be that as well. You guys are going to be uh, really excited to uh, to hear some of the things today. Um, just just before we jump into that, a um, couple of uh, quick notes um, that uh, Jazz HR is uh, is one of the supporters of the, the podcast. And um, if you are a, a medium-sized to small-sized business and you're really looking to now that things are starting to open up and you need to be able to do some hiring and recruiting, um, they have an applicant tracking system that helps you do that. Um, it also has automated scheduling. It allows you to kind of uh, uh, push out the ads and all of those things as well. So definitely take a look at it. Uh, if you go to the website, uh, that's www.bigideabigmoves.com. You can find a link on there. Just shoot through the link and take a look at it and see if it makes sense for you. Um, the other side as well is there are a lot of people who are looking for roles right now um, and will be over the next little while. So the, the um, amount of competition for those roles is going to be pretty high. Um, so Epitome HR is also helping with some career um, coaching packages that just, um, uh, and we find with a lot of people that we connect with, um, they have great backgrounds. They have great things to sell about themselves, and sometimes it's being able to understand how you, how a company will look at it, how you want to package that, and the process to go through. So, um, so if you jump on there, uh, they have those as well. I, I think a lot of people will find a lot of value in that as well. So again, it's www.bigideabigmoves.com. Um, and so today, we're really, really happy to have Lauren Johnson with us today, and she is the mental condi uh, mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. Um, she has consistently focused on pushing the envelope and pushing the limits of high performance. Um, she herself is uh, an experienced university soccer player, which hopefully we can talk about a little bit there too, but she's used that kind of soccer experience and athletics experience, but also her education, and then that real kind of passion to um, improve uh, performance through mental toughness. So we're going to get into some of those things today. Um, so she works with elite athletes, uh, military personnel, business leaders, and of course, the Yankees on on their um, mental conditioning. So um, thanks very much for joining us, Lauren. This is a, a really kind of um, Im important topic, I think probably even more so right now than anything else. And, and it translate not translates not just to athletic performance, but but generally as well. So um, So thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, I, I mean, you know what? I think the first thing that uh, is, is really important to take a look at is you have um, a really fast career trajectory from what I've seen. Um, and and uh, I think people being able to hear a little bit about kind of where where that comes from, you know, how you got to where you are today and, and really kind of where that passion built to, to get to you, uh, get you to where you are today as well. Yeah, I think I, I mean, growing up, I think, especially in soccer, that was my first kind of uh, adventure in terms of achievement and like wanting to become my best. And I think that that's where I kind of learned um, a little bit more about myself was how to, uh, there's so many, one of the things about the journey is that there are so many ups and downs, right? There's, there's really, really good uh, successes and then there's a lot of failures. And let me tell you, I failed I continuously fail. I mean, it's a part of the journey. And I think that when it came to soccer, it really taught me how to persevere. It taught me how to look at myself, look in the mirror and say, okay, what do I need to do differently? And it also taught me that I can't stay down for too long because if I make a mistake, 
yeah. on the field, suddenly I need to get back on defense. I don't have time to sit and feel bad for myself and feel sorry for myself. And so I think some of that um, resiliency kind of came from my sport. And so when I actually, it was junior year, no, senior year of, uh, of college, and I was playing um, for Point Loma Nazarene University at the time. And I am third game into my senior year, just came back from an injury, a concussion injury, and I received my fifth concussion. And our trainer and neurologist told me, Lauren, it's no longer safe for you to play anymore. And it crushed me as an athlete that kind of identified as a soccer player. Um, it was hard. It was a hard transition. But I decided to take a course in sports psychology. It was an elective course. I had never heard of it before. Um, originally, I wanted to be a physical therapist. And so I saw this. And I was like, eh, I have so a little bit more time. Why not take it? And I was the only person that signed up for the course and fell <laughs> in love with it. Yeah. And I was still part of my team. I was on the sidelines, um, you know, helping in any way that I could. And I think I realized the reason why I loved it so much was because I was the athlete that needed it the most. I was the athlete that could have used that because there was a lot of times I got in my own way. There was a lot of good, but there was also a lot of things, cracks that I started to begin to be aware of as I took this course. So that's when I decided I wanted to pursue a master's degree in this, and this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I started pursuing this master's degree and just, again, fell absolutely in love with it. And at the end of my master's degree, I had two job offers, like really great job offers. And I felt so lucky as a master's student. I'm like a, a recent grad student. I'm like, oh my gosh, two offers is great. So I took a lot of time to really, you know, think which one was going to be good for me. So I ended up turning one down and picking the other. And uh, with this particular job, they said, you know, it's going to take about six months for you to get placed. So, and that was pretty normal for this job. So I was yep. like, okay, no problem. I'm like, get another summer. Woohoo, like, great. So six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And I have some people that I know that had similar offers and they were getting placed. And so I was like, what the heck? Like, why am I not hearing anything? So I finally emailed them and I said, hey, uh, you know, what's, what's going on? You know, am I, gonna, am I gonna hear about my placement soon? And that's when I get the response that, the job is no longer available. Wow. And it took the wind completely out of my sails because here I was so excited two job offers straight out of grad school, which by the way, sports psychology, you can't go on like indeed.com and say like, I want to be, I want to work in sports psychology. It doesn't work yeah. like that. You have to have connections. So I was like, I didn't know what to do. So I decided, okay, well I need to make some sort of money in the meantime. And so I went ahead and I started working at Starbucks. Yeah. And I worked at Starbucks and trust me, it was a very humbling experience because when you, there's nothing wrong with working at Starbucks. It's a great place to work. But when that's not your job, that's not your vision for yourself. When that's not what you want to be doing, it's very humbling. And for me, it was. And I remember the one particular day, everything in my life changed. I was working the drive-thru and in the drive-thru, your job, part of your job is to work with uh, or talk to and entertain the person in the drive-thru while their drink's being made. And so I'm sparking up conversation with this guy and he goes, um, hey, so are you, uh, are you in school? Which was a common question. Most people were. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm actually not. I just finished. And he's like, great. What'd you get your degree in? And I was like, oh, I got it in performance psychology. And he starts laughing like full on belly laughing. Yeah. And I am so confused. I'm like looking around, like, did I say something like something in my face? Like what happened? Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, excuse me, like, 
what, what's so funny? And he said, huh, you got one of those degrees you'll never use. And I mean, my, my jaw must have dropped. <laughs> and all I want to do is jump out of the window. And But then the rest of the day, I kept ruminating about this. I kept going yeah. back and like replaying it in my mind. And every time I replayed it, I would get angry. And I thought to myself, why does this matter? This guy, I don't even know this guy. He doesn't even know me. Why is his opinion mattering so much to me? And then I sat and I thought about it and I was like, because he was right. Because here I was right out of grad school, wanting to teach the very thing that I needed at that moment. And instead of doing that hard thing, instead of going after and finding another way, another path, I was settling for comfort. And so here I am in Starbucks having this huge realization and going, what am I doing? It was like looking at myself from a third person yeah. perspective. And so that day I went home and I Googled how to start your own company. And that's when I started my own consulting company. And a year later, after grinding it out, doing a lot of things for free, um, getting a lot of no's with a couple yeah. of yeses, that's when I got the opportunity with the Yankees. And, and, and so one of, the, one of the big things is, um, you know, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a new, um, it's a new field, but it's, it's new in the way that you use it now. Um, but you're also going into what, I think in, in a lot of places is a pretty traditional business in, in some ways. Has that continued to be a challenge for you? Um, yes and no. I think it's always, there's always challenges. So I would say, yeah, I definitely, I definitely had a lot of challenges at the time. And, and then coming into now the Yankees, um, yeah. it's a lot different than consulting work. Yeah. Um, consulting work, you get to choose your clients. Um, Typically, they're coming to you, and so when you are on staff, it is different because it, sometimes you're the one having to challenge them. Sometimes um, you're the one having to seek them out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there there definitely are some challenges, but I think that those are the best things for us because the more challenges that we have, the more opportunities we have to grow, and the much more different perspectives we can have. Because now I can say I know the difference between consulting work and working for an organization. And when people, when grad students call me and they're like, oh, well, I don't know what I want to do. I can give a very good perspective of maybe Both sides. What that is. So yeah, it, it's definitely challenging, but, um, but I don't mind that. Yeah. Well, and when you were talking about your own experience and, um, and with concussions and that when you heard that realization that, oh, I might not be able to play anymore. Um, I'm assuming a lot of your clients go through things that are similar to that, where, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's probably, they've, they've been so connected with whatever their role is or whatever their sport is. Um, is that something that you, you know, do you have to help with some of those things where it's maybe transitions either, you know, through performance or through, or out of an organization over time, things like that. Is, is that something you connect with? Absolutely. I mean, shoot, we have releases every year. Yeah. So I hate the most about my job. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't think about that side of it when I first wanted, knew I wanted to work in professional sports and every year that's my least favorite day of the year is when we have yeah. to release guys because these are people I've invested in. I always tell them, don't ask me. I'm too biased. Like, <laughs> I, I know these guys on a different level, so don't ask me. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a hard position to be in. However, I'm thankful for it because those are some of the most important times to have support. Yeah. Those are some of the most important times to be leaning on other people and asking for 
support and sometimes just somebody to listen. And so some of the things that we dive into is who are you without your sport? Yeah. That's a hard, that's a hard conversation to have um, because it's almost a loss. We're grieving something that's no longer available to us. And now for some people, they continue on and they decide, but when you've decided to move on from a sport, we kind of at some point grieve this identity that is kind of now fleeting. And so that's a hard transition to make. And so what I like to do is I like to pull out the core of like, what about athletics had you identify with it? What are the things that you gained from your athletic experience? And for some people, it's something like resilience. And so those are kind of the identity pieces that I like to like hold on to is being resilient, having good character, um, you know, being, finding the good and the bad, you know, all these different qualities that we can gain from the identity of an athlete without feeling like we have to lose those because we're no longer an athlete. And so I like to help them connect and translate those same skills, maybe just to a different task. So, and I mean, we've all heard this statement, but you know, sports aren't who you are, it's what you do. And so developing who you are is more important than being connected to what you do. And so when you do that, then you can, who you are, you can take wherever, no matter what it is that you're doing. And and really, uh, I think that's applicable, not just to athletics. I mean, you think of how many people, and and probably right now, there are a lot of people that are in that transition mode because they've maybe lost their job that they were fully invested in the same way, or they've only connected with themselves being a CEO of an organization, and suddenly they have to map across to something else or decide what they want to do. I think that process is still the same, right? Absolutely. It's, and I think that's why I love what I do, because it's not just athletics. Now, granted, I apply it to athletics every day. But then also it's the process is not much different. It's the language that changes based on domains. But yeah, that same process is applicable, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a CEO, whether you are a mom, a dad, whatever, whatever it is, it is applicable across life, which that's one of the things I I love and I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Now, how about the transition the other way? Because I, I, um, I find uh, just recently I talked with um, Chris Gronkowski and he talked about how it was actually um, difficult for him because he was used to always being like the, the best person on a team and they, you know, all the way through kind of different teams. And most of the people that go to the level that you work with have probably always been the best person on their team. Um, and then suddenly may not be. And, and is that, um, you know, how, how do you help people deal with that kind of thing when you're in, uh, you know, that elite level where suddenly you're not the, you know, the, the top person on the team? Being the best is relative to those around you. Yeah. Being your best is relative to you. That's where we focus because there's always going to be people that are more talented. There's always going to be people that maybe have a better, a better performance that day. There's going to be people that maybe are, you think are better, but they didn't have a good performance. You know, there's a million different scenarios we can play out, but being your best, that's the only thing you have control over. You can't control that guy being his best. You can't control the circumstances falling in line. You can't control the circumstances working against you. You can't control any of that. And so, yeah, when I remember that exact moment, when I actually, my freshman year, I played at the University of San Francisco and I was the captain of all my teams. I had never been pulled out of a game. I didn't play the first five games. Yeah. Five games, I can't remember exactly. But, and I was like, what is this? Like, it was, it was a hard realization to make, but the best athletes, they're not known for changing their circumstances, but for being their best regardless of circumstance. 
And so my question would be, if you like, I don't care what the best is. I want to know what your best is and how do you, how do you make your actions fall in line with those? That's where we focus when we have guys come in to that because it is a realization. It is a tough thing, but it also can become a distractor to doing the things that you know make you successful. Right. Cause you're always probably trying to map yourself across to somebody else rather than maybe what your, your role and that role might be new at this point too, depending on kind of, you know, how you've come into the team as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the, right now we've gone through a kind of a funny time a little bit um, where, um, and I, I'm wondering how, um, you know, if, if people are, there's more distractions, I think, right now, I guess. So, you know, do you foresee having to do things differently when, um, you know, people ha uh, maybe have more things happening in their lives right now or more things that are happening around them? Does, does that change for how you deal with the athletes that you deal with? Oh yeah. I mean, we all are having to, we all are having to adjust right now. And this is like the analogy I've been giving is complaining about the situation we're in or having to do things differently is like complaining about playing a round of golf in the rain with 30 miles per hour wind. It yeah. sucks, but everyone has to deal with the same circumstances. And so uh, to me, it's how can we adjust best? How can we adjust as quickly as possible. Now, what that's going to take is a lot of trial and error because this has never been done before, right? None, none of us, most of us have not faced anything like this where we're having to, our whole lives are being disrupted, disrupted in so many ways, whether it's personally, professionally, spiritually, all of these things are being disrupted. And so um, it's how can we adjust, but also at the same time, redefining what success looks like yeah. because success is not going to look the same. It may not be, you know, I don't know, like you can list it out, A, B, and C. Like I, it's not yeah. going to be me getting out to practice every day. It's not going to be, maybe the gyms aren't open, so I'm not going to be able to lift weights as much as I want to. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there may be some limits to that, but don't underestimate your ability to improve despite your circumstances. And so in these circumstances, how can we still find ways to improve? Because in my mind, reading one page is better than reading no pages. Writing one paragraph is better than not writing at all. Walking for five minutes is better than not walking. And so action is greater than inaction. And so I know that we're going to have to adjust, but also at the same time, we are going to have to adjust our definition of success and our, um, and our expectations to what that's going to look like. Well, and I, I love the idea where you think that it's, it's about taking incremental action. And, um, you know, do you, can you think of anybody, have you, have you had experiences with athletes who are really good at that, about being able to cut through that other stuff and, and really translate it into how do I just go to step A, B, C, and really have a systematic way of, of tackling it? Oh my gosh. Yes. I think, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, Derek Jeter, um, Kobe, you look at all these great, great athletes. Yeah. This is one of the things they do very, very well because success is, it's a long-term process. It's, you got to play the long game. These guys are really good at playing the long game. And what the long game is, is doing those boring mundane things consistently on a daily basis. That doesn't mean mistakes aren't being made. Okay. Because a lot of people, I think yeah. they misinterpret consistency for perfection. It's not going to be perfect. Consistency is an average over time. And so if you're averaging in the wrong way, we could be consistent in the wrong direction. But if we're averaging in the right way, we can be consistent in the opposite direction. And so my question would be is, what is the small thing that you can do on a daily basis that over time is going to add up or get you move the needle in the direction of the, that you want to go? 
because that's exactly what that is. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make, especially when they're changing their habits, is they take on too much too soon. But it's not about intensity. It's about consistency. Yeah. So just because you, you don't get fit because you work out for five hours a day in the gym or five hours a day, it's you get, you get fit being working out for 20 to 30 minutes every single day. Yeah. And it's so that consistency and being simplistic about what your goal is to, to be very specific, I guess. Yes. And a really great way, a really great um, way you can do this is figure out what it is that you want. Like what's the habit or the thing that you want to be doing on a daily basis and then shrink it down to something that only takes a couple of minutes. And so then what you do is you, you master the foundation of that skill and then you step it up a notch. So it might look like this. Let's say you want to end up running three miles, three days a week, maybe three days a week. It's if you're not running anything, if you're not even getting up and putting on your gym clothes, maybe it's three days a week, you're putting on your gym clothes. And then once you've mastered that habit, then you can add three days a week, putting on your gym clothes, walking outside. And then you can just continue adding to build up to that. Because a lot of times what we see is people going out and trying to run three miles when they haven't even ran one. And it's discouraging and it discourages us from taking future action. And so starting off, if you want to be consistent, be consistent with the smallest common denominator of what that action is and then build from there. Because James Clear says, we cannot improve a habit unless we've already had one established. So establish it at the most basic level and then start to improve it from there. How about the other side when you've, you know, you probably have people that are, um, that have set goals and you experience failure. Um, and you know, uh, uh, that can be, and, and I would say a lot of people right now are, are looking at, okay, uh, you know, whether you're seeing it, whether it truly is a failure or is being seen as a failure in their mind, it's a failure. How do you, um, how do you, tackle those things and be able to get people past that, especially in, in your background where, you know, failure can really shift people's mindset really quickly. I love failure. <laughs> <laughs> this is an unpopular opinion, I'm sure. Um, because failure clears the path for what works by showing us what doesn't. Yeah. And I think that if we only look at failure, we're missing the point. Failure is, if there's no struggle, there's no growth. And so if we're not getting some pushback, we're not having any room to grow. Failure is their best teaching tool. If you're succeeding, what, what are you learning? Not yeah. a whole lot of a lot. But if we're failing, we are, we are grabbing information to be able to use and transform. Sometimes, it's, sometimes we, it's, it's not a failure because we did something wrong, but hey, it, it failed because that person, man, they had a good day or they got lucky or they, man, they swung perfectly. They had great timing, like hats off to that person. Yeah. And so I think that we really have to look into failure. We cannot just look at it and go, well, I failed. That's it. We have to actually look at what did you fail at? Because we can't change something. We, we won't know what to change if we're not aware of what needs changing. And so we can't just look at failure and just go, well, that's it. I have to, I can't even do that at all. That's not true. Let's look at what part of it failed. Maybe it wasn't something you did. Maybe it was a circumstance, but, or maybe it was, maybe you, that pitch was like thrown right where that, where that guy, like that was right in the zone. Maybe you missed up. Maybe you, whatever it is, maybe you swung at the wrong pitch. We can look at that and then go, okay, where, where did we fail? And now what can we do as a result of that? Because the biggest failure to me is not trying. That is the true definition of failure. Failure is 
hundred percent, just not giving an effort, not putting yourself out there, not willing to risk it because how, how do you know how far you can go unless you risk failure? How do you know, how do you know what your max reps are in a deadlift? If you don't deadlift until failure, we know how far we can go once we've been able to fail. And so to me, I think that it's one of the most important parts of succeeding is learning how to fail. Now, how does, um, how does that translate into, um, you know, is there a difference do you find in people's openness to that? Um, I would think, especially if you're looking at even age groups where, you know, the, those people that are maybe you're tracking to, how do you come into the kind of pro professional ranks? And then maybe people who've been there a long time as well. Do you have to, like, what, what is the approach difference? And do you find that there is a difference, I guess, from a, an age group or, or, you know, different mindsets, I guess? Yes, uh, that's a great question. A lot of times, um, there are always outliers, but a lot of times there's a difference between, the difference isn't failing or not failing, the difference is their response to failure. And so I always like to say that, um, you know, the ups and downs are normal, they're a normal part of the game. And ups and downs just look different based on, it could be based on the person, based on the age group, based on the experience. Yeah. And a lot of times when we have some of our younger guys come into our system, the difference is like this. Yeah. They have a really, really great success, but then they have a really, really tough failure. And it takes them that gap between getting back to where they were and where they are after a failure is big. Now, the difference is not that Kobe Bryant, Aaron Judge, all these guys don't fail. They, or they didn't fail is yeah. that their gap doesn't look like this. It looks like this. Right. And so their ups and downs are a lot smaller. They're Have they changed that gap over time? Like, is that, is that what you see? Okay. Yes. So that's what we're trying to do yeah. because the goal is not to eliminate failure. The goal is not to eliminate obstacles. The goal is not to eliminate negative thinking. It's changing our response to them because it is unrealistic to think we can live a life without them. And so my question always is, what is your relationship with it? What is your relationship with failure? You have some guys that they respond so well to failure because they, it is a fuel. It is a way, it is an opportunity. They don't yeah. view it as a bad thing. And then we have people that have a very negative relationship with failure. They crumble. They feel horror. It's like a whole identity crisis when it happens. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't necessarily, I don't want to change failing. I think failing is important. I actually enjoy it to some extent, of course. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I don't, I don't have go through those same emotions and same feelings, but I can always find the benefit of it on the other end. And so it isn't the goal. I don't want to change the fact that you have it or that you experience it, but I do want to work on and change our relationship with it. Yeah. Well, and so you in particular um, are in one of these, uh, I mean, the role that you're in and the organization you're in is always a high focus always a um you know i would assume a pretty pressure filled kind of space because there's such a, a bright light on on that franchise and on on the sport um how do you personally deal with it when uh, you know there's there's probably a whole lot of focus on on you and your role and and all of the people in in the yankees organization are you saying like well how do i deal with failure I deal with failure or deal with also the stress of, of being kind of in such a high focus kind of role? Oh, I'll be honest. I am definitely behind the scenes, yeah. <laughs> which is wonderful. But I, I, I love my job. I don't see it as like a, as a, like a high pressure. Like I, there's pressure, but I like that. I think pressure is a privilege. I think that we grow and we learn and I, I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm just simply comfortable. 
because yeah. we're comfortable or actually there's science back behind it that says like our brain isn't growing and evolving and it's not forming new connections. I want to constantly be growing in some aspect. And so I think it's such a privilege to work for an organization like the Yankees because we are always pushing the boundaries. We are always trying to find something new. We are always trying to be ahead and, and start trends and um, find new ways to become our best. And so there's constant evolving there. But I think it's such a privilege because I work with some of the brightest minds in baseball. And I think I'm so lucky to be able to work alongside these people that are way smarter than me. And a lot of times when they're speaking, I'm like, can we dumb that down a little bit? <laughs> um, but I think that we are so lucky to be a part of an organization like that. And it is, we're such a team that it's, it, I mean, it's a fun, fun environment to work in. So I, I don't really see it as a, as a, as a bad thing in terms of pressure. I actually enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, um, so uh, you are kind of at the front end of that game. There, there are, there aren't tons and tons of places that have your type of role yet. I mean, there are in a lot of pref professional and the high level organizations. Um, do you have thoughts around, you know, how, um, what needs to happen? I mean, you know, you still see, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Toronto and, and they've had um, some, some problems recently with um, junior hockey and, and people kind of talking about there still being a, a real environment that, that has been somewhat toxic um, for individuals there. Um, do you have some thoughts around, you know, what needs to happen to, to either move the bar on that and also maybe spend a little more time on, on the mental conditioning side? Yeah, um, I think that there's still, I think whenever you have the word mental in front of like a, yeah. a title, I think that there's a stigma attached. I, I think that we've done a very good job of moving that needle forward, um, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. I think in the baseball world, it's very widely accepted now. Mm -hmm. um, there's, I mean, almost all MLB teams have somebody, but most teams have a team have teams now. Like I am part of a six person team. I'm a small piece to the puzzle. Yeah. And um, we work with, you know, all of our guys. And I think that the important part when it, whenever you're introducing mental conditioning and mental toughness to a group is relationships. I remember when I first came into the Yankees, um, I was like, put me in the game coach. Like I want to, I want to start doing group sessions. I want to do individuals. And I was actually advised against that. And to say like, Hey, how about you just just focus on relationships. I don't care if you do one thing this year, that's a group session, an individual session, just focus on relationships. When I made that my focus, I suddenly had people coming to me yeah. because they now knew, they knew me on a personal level where they felt comfortable to be able to share. It's a and trust I, level piece, I assume, that you have to develop. Yeah, why would you tell somebody you don't trust something very personal about you? It's hard to. And so you do have to establish some level of that. So I think that that's the first thing. Coming in and saying like, here, this is what you need to do different. You're not doing this right. This is always going to, like, I just think that that's a bad approach. Um, and unfortunately, when we have some of our new draft guys come in every year, we do have a handful of those guys that have bad experiences like that. Yeah. And so I think as in our field, it's our responsibility to approach it in a way they don't have to approach it necessarily like me. We have a team. So I was able to kind of take a back seat for a little bit. Um, but there's, it's important to really have, have that in mind, have the relationship in mind and being able to bring people on board with you. If you don't have your staff on board with you, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Not to say you can't do it, but you have to have team buy-in from the most important and influential people on your team. Um, but yeah, so I do think that 
more education about what we do needs to come out. Um, I think we are in the front lines in terms of whenever we have clinical issues, they come through us. We refer out. We don't work with anything clinical. We have an awesome um, group of a network that we use and refer people to. Um, but I do think educating on what the benefits are. And I think people like Kevin Love coming out and talking about his issues with anxiety and Michael Phelps coming out talking about his issues with depression. These things are, our guys have specifically come to me and said, it was because I watched that, that I decided I needed to come talk to you. Yeah. Um, and so I think the more we can have people be willing to talk about it without feeling forced to talk about it. Yeah. I think that's where those conversations move the needle forward because these are people, these guys, and girls can relate to and say, okay, I'm not so different. I can talk about this yeah. because the greatest strength isn't holding things in and, and pushing them down. It's being willing to stare them in the face and go, all right, what am I going to do about this? Yeah. And the good thing is, is that is becoming a lot more normal. It's just, obviously there's still room to move on that too. So, um, so the one thing that we do ask every guest is, um, you know, we want to uh, make sure that people listening have uh, a couple of um, actionable kind of uh, items that they, they can take away right away. Um, and um, if somebody is at home and they're, uh, they're really thinking, you know what, I'd, I'd like to work on my own mental toughness and work on my own resiliency. Um, do you have a couple of like two or three actionable steps they could do right away that, that will start the ball rolling and, and make, um, make a difference for them? Yeah, I'd say, I think the, the foundation, the foundational skill of all mental skills is awareness because it's, hard to make changes if you don't know what changes need to be made. And so one of the things that I do is I journal and there's three questions you can always ask yourself. And it is number one, what went well today or what did I do well today? Um, I think too often we focus so much on improvement that we forget to flex our optimistic muscle and exercise that. So number one is what did I do well or what went well today? Two, what can I do better? Because no matter how well something went, there's always room to improve. And so what that does is it stops us from being complacent. It doesn't mean you don't celebrate your victories. It doesn't mean you're not happy about them and you're excited, but also to always have, be willing to have kind of a little bit of a critical eye and go, okay, what, what are some things that could improve if there was anything to improve? And then the third thing is, what did I learn? This was actually a question that I overlooked uh, when I was younger. I was like, ugh, I hated when like teachers would ask me, what did you learn today? I was like, oh my God. Um, but then when I started to look at it from this perspective, it changed it for me is when I started to look at my, what did I learn? What was the value? What was the principle that I could take from this scenario or this situation or this day? Sometimes it was as simple as, um, you know, I just need to be present. Like today I learned the importance of being present. Today I learned the importance of being kind to other people or being willing to listen about different perspectives. Um, sometimes it was, I learned this doesn't work for me. This is a boundary I need to make. And so you'll be surprised at the things that come up. And the more that we can evaluate and become aware of our daily feedback to ourselves, the better we can then know where changes need to be made. And then we can really zero in because I don't, I wouldn't want to give somebody something to change when we don't really know what that is. And so I'd start there then we can do some more exploring on what would be the next thing to do. Um, and as you'll see is the more that you journal, the more that you become aware of these three things in these three areas, you're going to start to see patterns that pop up. Those patterns are so valuable because those are things that are either working really well or maybe need to have some adjusting and refining done. So that would be a really great exercise. I think to start anybody out is to start building awareness with it by asking those three questions every day.
Yeah, that's that's awesome and and really easy to do. I mean, it, it's uh, you only need yourself, so that's great. But um, uh, you know, uh, you've given some some amazing stuff today, and um, uh, really appreciate it. If people are looking to, I, I know you have lots of good um, um, posts and and things like that. Are how do people find you and and some of the information that you you put out? You can follow me on LinkedIn, find me, Lauren Johnson, um, and then on Twitter at underscore Lauren Johnson underscore, and then on um, Instagram at Lauren Nicole Johnson. Awesome. Well, make sure that you do that, um, anybody listening, because, um, um, and it, you don't have to be an athlete to take away some really great information, because uh, as we've seen today, a lot of this is, is um, applicable to everybody. So, um, so definitely follow that. Um, the other thing, if you haven't hit subscribe on the button today, um, on whatever podcast platform you're on, um, just make sure you do that because we have um, amazing guests all the time. And that's the way it automatically goes into your, uh, into your system. And you'll, you'll see it be first to see them when you get it. Um, the other things is you can, uh, um, again, uh, the show notes that we'll put on uh, all the information about Lauren and, uh, and you can see kind of other previous shows as well um, is on uh, the website www.bigideabigmoves.com. Uh, so jump on there. There is a, um, uh, a small kind of form if you want to uh, use it. It actually helps you with some of the uh, thinking through goal setting. So, um, uh, so if you pair that with what uh, Lauren just kind of talked about, I, I think you have a really good head start on things. So, uh, so take a look at that. Otherwise, um, thanks everybody for listening. And thank you again, Lauren. Um, hopefully we can talk again sometime during the, the shortened season that we, uh, we hopefully we'll see soon and uh, we'll uh, talk to everybody again in just a little bit on big idea big news thanks for having me